Wait, so yeah, okay. why do I believe that being a VC, a founder of a VC fund is easier than being a founder of a startup? There's so many reasons. I mean, the first, I guess, I guess I'll ground myself on is product market fit. It turns out mm -hmm. that when you run a venture capital fund, there's very established product market fit. My product mm. is giving money to you as a founder. And it turns out that founders really like getting money <laughs> from a VC, right? So mm. um, every other startup that I ever ran, like I've, I've had five companies, it's my fifth one right now. Mm -hmm. Like um, they, uh, it took me like three to five years to find product market fit. And that was like with a lot of resources spent, time, money, uh, to try, mm. try to find something that, that finally took off. And it's just lots of experimentation. So, mm. you know, the early days of being a startup founder, the quest is to see whether there is a, a path to product market fit. And many do not. I'd say arguably most do not find mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. right? True. So you take away that stress. That's part one. Mm. Uh, part two is that uh, there's something a little bit different about having a portfolio of companies versus just one company. When you're a founder, mm. you know, all of your eggs are just in that single company. <laughs> like it's toxic. Like right. even your personal identity often feels tied to the success of this right. business. That's how I felt. That's never a healthy kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. like going to be like a binary outcome usually for, for that founder. In mm. a portfolio, when you're a VC, we have 500 portfolio com companies across three funds. So it, mm. it creates a little bit more of like an emotional balance when you're mm -hmm. a VC because you have like a portfolio of high risk businesses, not just the one. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast, where I unpack and narrate stories of ambitious people who turn obstacles into opportunities. My goal for this podcast is to create a platform to narrate underdog stories and maybe play a small, teeny tiny role in inspiring you. I intend to highlight the underdog mentality and make authentic conversations with people who play the long game, take action with the chip on their shoulder, and convert obstacles into opportunities. Buckle up, as I'll be bringing some authentic founders, VCs, community builders, and content creators who got underestimated their whole lives, and yet they beat all the odds to become insanely successful. Now, today I want to tell you a little bit about our awesome sponsor, Acquire.com. Selling a business is as tough as building a business. As someone who went through this process once, selling my own startup, I know the pain it takes to get to the end zone. This is where our sponsor shines. Imagine this, you're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers and generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing forever for whatever reason, lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest and you feel stuck. What should you do? The story I'd like to hear is you buckle down, somehow reignited the fire, get past yourself and the cliches and start working on your business rather than just in the business. You start building an audience, move out of your comfort zone to do sales and marketing, and in six months, you triple your revenue. The reality isn't as simple. Situations may be different from every founder facing these crossroads, but too many times, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the, become business, the business becomes less valuable or worse worthless. If you find yourself here or your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is a smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. Go to 
try.acquire.com/sharad and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharad. Today, I have an exciting, exciting, exciting guest who's also uber cool. I'll I'll repeat that again. He's a really cool guy. He recently said that he's not. No one said about it. I would I would go, uh, you know, file a case against him. But uh, today, I have Eric Bond on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Eric. How are you feeling? Thanks for taking time today. Yeah, uh, Sharath, feeling great because I get to have a conversation with you. Really honored to be on the pod with you. And I think we're going to cover some really good stuff. So excited. Absolutely, absolutely. I have I have so many questions for you. Uh, technical, non-technical, uh, <laughs> shitposting, you know, we can talk about. But for folks who doesn't know Eric, which is rare, let me give you guys a brief example. Eric's, like I said, super cool VC uh, who always like finds... Uh, ideas and uh, intentions about helping founders. That's one thing I really observed about you, Eric, when I saw and I researched you. And I've been like a big fan, followed you for, you know, many, many years now. Mm, thank you. Uh, he's the co-founder of uh, Hustle Fund, uh, a, VC, a pre-seed VC fund with over like 130 million AUM. And uh, his co-founder is none other than the amazing Elizabeth. And I'm a big fan of her as well. Uh, briefly, when I was at Product Hunt, I, I kind of like, you know, uh, helped host the team, you know, with a session with her. Uh, he's a founder. He's a PM. Oh my God. He did so many things. He's, he's a founder of a, of a children's book company. Uh, I can go on and on about Eric, but let's, let's get into it. I think, you know, uh, everybody can get the intro from the short notes, but right off the bat, what's your obsession with minivans? Oh, sorry. There's a bit of a delay there. I I, uh, I missed that question. Oh, uh, so I'll repeat. Yeah. So what's the obsession with the minivans, Eric? Ah, yeah. So <laughs> this has become a, a, a bit of a, what what started as a small joke has now turned into a little bit more of a meme, which has now turned into a, a very closely associated uh, branding for myself. So yeah, I drive right. a minivan. <laughs> it's a Honda Odyssey. <laughs> it's great. I got it once uh, we had our first kid. And right. um, the thing that that triggered, I think, the minivan jokes was, uh, at least in the United States, there's this belief that mm-hmm. minivans are super uncool, right? Yeah. So people think of soccer moms, soccer dads, people that live in the right. suburbs have kind of given right. up on life. But the reality right. is this, Stroth. <laughs> If you drive a minivan, they're actually uh-huh. fantastic vehicles. They, they're huge. The doors slide out like this. They have so much right. utility. But right. in addition to that, too, I, I'm like, it, it's almost like, a, for me, like something like of a reclaiming of my masculinity. Because like people will sometimes toxically say like, oh, you're not a real man if you have a minivan. That is mm. nonsensical because you you have to have made children <laughs> in order yeah, to yeah, have filled yeah, yeah. up the minivan <laughs> with, with those babies. Right. So right. for me, it's like taking back the brand of um, that minivans are, are actually really fun and cool. And the thing that again, makes me so happy to drive one is because I have this fantastic family. I get to drive mm-hmm. around in it. So yeah, it's, it's a weird joke that I have no idea when it's going to end. It's been like five years now since people have been sort of talking about minivans and I, I'm just, continue to feed the fire i suppose 
Yeah, you should you shouldn't drop in my opinion as well. I think I like I love the uh the reason behind it. I think it's not just a cool thing that you're doing because you can get into people's conversation about, you know, everybody loves a I wouldn't say controversy but anything uh that is unfiltered or like, you know, uh, like a hard opinion. Uh but I think I like the reasoning behind it because kind of want to go against the norm, the stigma, right? So <laughs> generally it's like It's a it's a uphill battle but of course you know I I yeah. have high trust in you for making it super cool as a Thank dad you. myself I'm expecting my uh, our second kid uh, oh next year Oh my gosh March. congratulations yeah amazing So yeah thank you appreciate it we we are going to have like two boys one we have an we have a hyper hyper energetic toddler in our house as a matter of fact uh when I was building my previous startup uh, shout out uh my co-founder actually gifted me hustle funds 1z i couldn't <laughs> find it it was lost in the garage somewhere but i still have it uh which i actually i think i tweeted about it uh like 2 years ago I, you know but i'm i'm sure that we uh re- reposted it uh we we can't yeah. resist the cute baby wearing a hustle fund <laughs> 1z uh and congrats. i think actually if you have a really energetic older uh, or uh, older son then he's going to just have the perfect playmate for life right to yeah to around so, play soccer with whatever <laughs> absolutely i so i joke with this with my wife i'm an introvert so god gifted me two boys as friends <laughs> <laughs> well you can keep so going anyway. see what happens yeah. you know oh, maybe no, there'll no, be a girl no, no, no. oh my god <laughs> <laughs> my wife will kill me uh talk about like parents i think you're one of those people on twitter x you know whatever people call it these days that kind of brings the balance out right like your content is blend of you know like like you said you're very proud of family you're grateful about your family you talk a lot about like you know how they helped you become better you know one of your tweets about you know your kid mentioning about an artistic kid uh-huh. um, you know that actually changed your perspective and thinking and you know improved empathy So a lot lot of your tweets are well balanced it's not very technical about vc 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 or is this is these are your hustle tips and what not but it's also like you you bring the human side of it so talk to me about your family one of the things that triggered to me uh is this uh post uh, from Catherine she's an amazing person by the way she you know the founder of Anja Health she was on mm. the on the my other oh, podcast yeah, of about one of our founders yeah bonding with Yeah so bonding with the kids so my question is like you said it takes time with bonding with you know kids you know so talk to me about the, their presence how they impact you on a day to day basis when you take big decisions like investing in startups yeah i think um the, the interesting thing just starting from the very beginning on that is i never thought i really wanted kids so i was a little bit against having kids uh Oh. I guess uh having a family was was never like a real dream of mine when I was a young child and then when I became mm. an adult it was like it'd be kind of okay I guess but I'm not really that into it. <laughs> There comes a point like in your 20s where you're starting to do better in your career and like you're making a little bit more money and then the vacation starts to get better and then suddenly mm-hmm. like everything feels much more affordable like a slightly better meal and all that. Mm-hmm. And so like mm-hmm. quality of life mm-hmm. is increasing, right? Why why screw mm-hmm. that up? Mm. But my wife really wanted kids. So that ended that conversation you know and mm-hmm. and that's really important for me so uh you know we eventually started going for it and then what i learned now uh pretty quickly actually after the first one was how amazing it is i mean i think i deeply underappreciated 
the basic thing that I get out of every day, like removing the spiritual qualities of children and all that stuff. And you know what it's like to, to make babies all stuff. like at the end of the day, like when I step back from my garage, back into the house, my family's there. I used to have just one best friend in my house. Now I have three best friends, <laughs> mm. right? Like the pee poo lack That's of awesome. sleep. Yeah. It's annoying. But like, right. uh, it really is, it's just majority of the time, like having a great time with each other. It's just like, the right. best roommate situation I've ever had in my life. So <laughs> right. part one is just like, that's so grounding, you know, just, mm. just to know that like the home feels so safe and it feels more full than before. Um, mm. I think the second thing too is, are, uh, they're constant, kids are a constant reminder to you of what really matters uh, in right. this life. And, you know, they don't give a shit. They never ask about like, how did it yeah. go with that LP pitch or that podcast <laughs> with Sharath? Like they're not going right. to ask those questions. All right. they want is your time and your presence, sure. right? Especially right. while they're younger. And right. uh, so, like, if I were, you know, not a VC and just, you know, working in, in any other job or, like, I was mm -hmm. struggling with my career, whatever it is, like, they don't care. <laughs> you know, they, mm. they just care about me. And right. uh, it's a nice daily reminder to have, which is just, like, mm -hmm. you know, the people that, that love you most, um, mm -hmm. they're not judging you on whether you have a cool job or not or how much money you make or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and adults tend to do that a little bit more. So yeah. it's a nice contrast. I, I find a lot of safety in that. Absolutely. I, just to add your point, we are all programmed, you know, in one way or the other. Uh, mm. But kids, they come as blank, pretty, it's like white slates, right? They don't have anything. They don't know uh, the negatives. They don't know how to scheme. They don't know how to hustle they had they're this this pure white slates that's what i learned when i had i always wanted kids but i never knew how impactful it would be when you hold a baby who beat the shit out of the odds of 400 trillion to one mm. that is phenomenal so that is my reminder every day when i see him it fascinates me that he like you said they don't care about anything at the same time. They're they, they just very pure. They're, they're these forgiving souls that they just forget, forgive, and just want to try to be like, you know, in the present, in that moment, right? So, yeah, like you yeah. said, I think, yeah, not, not, not highlighting about the, the philosophical angle of, you know, benefits of being kids, but it's just like startups, right? It, it, it is tough to build a startup, just like it is tough to wake up, you know, in two-hour intervals to feed, a, feed an infant. Of course, it's uncomfortable, but the beauty is in the long run. Like when you produce yeah. something so beautiful, it impacts, yeah. you know, uh, the, the fruits are in the future. So uh, absolutely what you said about, you know, true. I love one of your hacks by your wife. More read time is equal to more iPad time. That's something I want to <laughs> yeah. implement as well. But any other hacks that you recently you both, you know, found or implemented that are successful that you want to share? Well, I don't know if this is really a hack, but something that we're doing differently in our household that I didn't have when I was a kid because I was frankly way more spoiled than my children are today. And they're pretty mm. damn spoiled. Uh, you know, we, we, we are very early on trying to institute chores for them, right? Just this notion mm. that they, they actually, even at their young ages, can contribute something meaningful to the house. So sure. doing more cleaning of, of the house, mm. uh, uh, a little bit of the cooking, um, you know, just the things that are kind of daily kind of muscle memory things that I want them to get in, right. into the habit of doing, just like learning how to like take care of our home. Right. And um, 
yeah, like soon, like I can't wait for them to do all their all their laundry. I think for my son, he's ready to do it. He's eight years old. And oh, uh, yeah, nice. just like these kinds of like small life skills. I remember like going to college and then like <laughs> staring at a laundry machine for the first time in my dorm and, and just like <laughs> kind of being super embarrassed. Just like, I have no fucking idea like how this thing works. Oh, <laughs> so uh, and then, you know, just right. had to slowly learn. But, you know, mm. just just knowing that they can have something that contributes, I think, is is important. And then um, the other thing, too, is just, you know, um, what's important for me, at least as a parent, is also just quantity time and quality time so mm. i really do think that the two really matter a lot and some ways mm. that that manifests in my life is making sure that i'm very present from like cub scout activities going to the soccer games like never mm -hmm. having my phone on me like for those kinds of things mm -hmm. and then mm. um also volunteering in my kids school so that they can see their dad in the classroom sure. every other week you know and that's um i don't really do much <laughs> in that classroom other than just play with the kids a bit but um, right. I know that's something that they're going to remember, right? It was just like, yeah. dad tried <laughs> to like solve for right. some quantity time as well. Right. And, um, you know, I love my parents a lot. I love my dad. He was a surgeon and he worked mm. a lot and I kind of wish I had more time with him. You know, that's, that's the mm. one thing that I wish were possible, but, right. um, you know, he had to do what he had to do and, you know, that's kind of how life shook out, but it taught me that I wanted a little bit more time with my kids. It just really yeah. comes down to that. I'll just share this, which is like something I think been thinking about a lot, Charoth, which is there's this uh, show on HBO I really like called The Righteous Gemstones. It's about this this family, kind of like succession-like family. Mm -hmm. uh, but the the father uh, started a mega church in the South, right? And then mm. <laughs> it's a little bit of a hilarious story in the sense that they're very like corrupt. So like they just like are ridiculously rich, right? Just like running this church. And then mm -hmm. um, in this latest season, one of the uncles is like, you know, your daddy gave you all the riches in the world. He's talking to their spoiled mm. kids. He's like, but he forgot to give you the most important gift, which is his time. Right. Mm. It, which is why those kids like end up being like such terrible people. So right. even though that was a comedy and all that stuff, like I, I think about that actually a lot. It's a good reminder of like, yeah, yeah that's, that's there what is a meaning. Me. Totally. Yeah, I totally. think when, when you, when you have like a, I think you seem to be a person with uh with you know, with a hunger to learn and seek some sort of lesson from everything, right? Like the, even from a comedy, you're you're seeking that lesson, which is very rare. You know, people just consume and just leave it out. So then ah. you're digesting it and implementing it in your own life in your own way. So that that I would just want to like acknowledge that because it's it's a skill. It's a skill that you well, know, helps. Yeah, you that's kind better. of you to say. I I think that I'm a lot less intentional about that. The the thing that uh uh. I think the thing that I'm learning as I get older is just mm. how to be present, right? Yeah. So like, and then when you're present, then like a lot of things sort of suddenly turn on, like your senses and everything. It's just listening becomes right. a little bit different, right? Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, you know, I'm not trying to gain lessons off watching HBO. <laughs> that's, a, that's not my <laughs> thing. But like, you know, when, when something connects with me, I can sort of like sit with it more now, sure. the, the older I get, than, than maybe when I was right. a more impatient youth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so one of the things I also have to acknowledge, you, you you dated your wife for 18 years and it seems, you know, you're a long-term prayer. Everything you do, you have this uh, long-term vision of doing things. Uh, where did you develop that? Like, you know, with from your parents or do you have any influence uh, for that thinking? Yeah. So clarifying, I've uh, been with my wife for 20 years and then we've been married for 14, but you know, yeah, of course we're still dating. Yeah. <laughs> So like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 20 years of dating right there. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, 
in terms of just like the patience for long things, I mean, I, I was, I'm a naturally, I think I was a much more impatient person before in your twenties and maybe Sharathi experiences too. Like, I don't know what, what it is. Like we're trying to race towards is like, like to be a millionaire as quickly as right. possible to get all these, like become like 30 under 30 mm. years. I don't know what it is. Right. For whatever reason. Mm. And I see this with a lot of 20 year olds, even today, like that there's just this, this rush, you know, people want to mm. just drop off out of college to just do their thing. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as I've been aging, I've been realizing like, what's the rush, <laughs> right? Just like, you know, just enjoy the journey a little bit more. And uh, mm-hmm. also, you know, when it comes to things that compound, you know, ec- compounding just like really starts to shape itself like towards the, the latter part of your career or your life and, and mm-hmm. in terms of the habits that you develop. I mean, there's like mm-hmm. that, that famous statistic, I think I, I'm going to botch it that like Warren Buffett, like, made something like 90% of his wealth and like after 60 or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. that was a mm-hmm. lot of sort of patient operating behind like a strategy that he had. And then like he made like gazillions of dollars, uh, very rapidly, mm. uh, through exponential compounding. Um, mm. but, um, yeah, I mean like in terms of the long-term stuff, uh, I don't know if it's like, it's, it's definitely not necessarily tied to like day-to-day patients. Cause I don't think I am that patient, but where mm. I am, uh, kind of patient is just this notion of like for relationships the ones that matter mm-hmm. most to me my family my friends mm-hmm. uh my co-founders whom i've known for 23 years as well mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and any kind of founder relationships that we have i know that it's a it's a long time commitment like when i invest in the founder today i just made a commitment mm-hmm. right before this call in fact like that's gonna be a seven to ten year journey before that person can ipo if everything goes right mm-hmm. we're gonna be growing old mm-hmm. together right so mm-hmm. uh you know, in those kinds of relationships, I I I sort of dig in. I'm just like let's hmm. let's let's assume that this is going to be like a ten year engagement together, and see what happens. Hmm. So it's it's a little bit different when you're on the side of the table as a venture investor because just things take time to mature and season hmm. before you see any kind of mm-hmm. outcome. Mm-hmm. I think uh, by by nature or by default, the nature of a VC should be I'm placing a bet and it it will you know come to life in like you said you know seven years ten years. Uh, probably you know even longer. I feel that that relationship mentality is by default is inculcated. So, follow up question. Uh, in in your opinion, how do you what do you, what do you see that strengthens relationship? Beat with founders, beat with your colleagues. You know, uh, beat with family. What is like that something that really triggers you? You know what? I have to push myself to do even more. I think it's just always trying to find ways to be more present. So there's a there's some bad habits I've developed when I was younger as a founder, which is, um, well, maybe this even started when I was a kid. So hmm. around sixth grade, I made a decision that I'm going to be a great student. Uh, I remember this because, like, I was kind of hmm. like a popular kid. I had like a a couple of troublemaker friends, not big troublemakers. And, you know, I could start to see the world starting to diverge of just like, there's one path where like, I can try to be a funny, popular kid in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's another path, Mm -hmm. which is just like, maybe there's something bigger than, uh, than what I can see in front of me growing up in Michigan, like a bigger world Mm -hmm. out there. And Mm -hmm. I quickly connected the dots of just like, you know, if I can get into like a great college somewhere, it seems like there's Mm -hmm. like a very big adventure ahead that that would also open up. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um. So I chose the path of just becoming like a really great student. 
And then like mm. with a singular goal of just like, I got to get out of Michigan. I'm going to go to a great school. And then like, we'll see what life goes, where life takes me after that point. And mm. um, as a result, I became like very, very disciplined. You know, um, those are when I think I started to develop my habits around never procrastinating, just like pushing mm. really, really hard when it comes to at the time academics. Where that started to translate for me in my founder career was um, I quickly noticed actually just as a young adult that there's there's some there's a quality that's missing in almost every single professional that I've that I've seen. I'm talking about like 98 mm percent -hmm. of the people I work with, which is fast response. You know, like if someone mm. puts in a request, do they execute it and then do they respond quickly, execute well and then respond quickly? And there are just certain people that I'm sure you worked with, Shiraz, which is like you send a note mm -hmm. to them and then you have full confidence just going to execute, be executed, and you just like it leaves your mind. Mm -hmm. You're like. I have no worries mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. this thing. And then there's yeah. a lot of other people I'm sure you work with where you're like, I'm going to send them this request, but I know I need to like follow up with them to sort of like push them and right. push them and push them. I actually think that's more of the right. default. So in my mm. first company, I would respond to every single message within one hour mm. for two years. Mm. I was running a discussion mm. forum at the time. It was in my first company. Mm. So that basically meant that it was a 24-hour on-call. Like when mm. America goes to sleep, Europe and Asia wakes up. and like, mm -hmm, and like. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did this and then it sort of conditioned me on this idea of like, wow, people love this stuff when you respond quickly. Mm. Um, where it starts to get toxic is like, I'm still obsessed with speed. So, you know, I'm <laughs> inbox zero every day. I've been inbox mm. zero every day for the past 10 years, I'd say. Wow. Um, um, you know, like when it comes to like execution, like I, I rush real, real hard to make sure that I get all my mm. deliverables done every day. That comes at a cost though. Like it trains me at, right. into like looking at my phone all the time, right? And I don't want a, an enduring memory for my kids to be like, mm. yeah, dad was watching the movie in the living room with us, but he was actually mm. working on his phone the whole time. That's a that's probably a toxic habit I need to stop with in front of my kids. So right. uh, still something I'm kind of working on, but like that that's sort of like a, a different manifestation of my own impatience for myself. Even mm. though I'm very long-term patient on other things in my life now. Mm. That is very fascinating. Uh, I think that basically like everything in life, any, anything in the universe, you know, balance is what makes it right, in my opinion. Uh, finding yeah. like a true balance, not to go at the end of spectrum, whichever it is, obsession or laziness <clears throat> or not doing things. Sure. Uh, but I really like the... In a way, you're saying that everybody should have an urgency, uh, urgency to do things faster in a faster way, uh, but at balance, you know. So urgency is something that can come from external pressure, or or else, you know, you can pressure yourself to uh, to do it, you know, certain things in certain point. So yeah. I like that yeah. fact. Uh, in, in also, in a way that you're also saying that we all know that you know trust is the single most ingredient that actually helps build relationships like, you know, in a better mm -hmm. way. Uh, that trust element, when it comes to founders that you've invested in or you've worked with before, uh, what are some qualities that people fascinated you when it comes to trust? That these are some things that exhibited that actually, like you said, in your words, made me again a student of, you know, learning from them. Yeah. Well, I think consistency of follow-up is the thing that starts to show show real trust with me. You know, the very best founders that I work with, 
on a monthly, maybe on a quarterly basis, send updates like on the dot. And mm. um, and the the quality of the updates is like it's showing everything. It's like the good, the bad, where they need help, or they might be succeeding, whatever it is. It just feels like a full, fully vulnerable kind of like a mm. update. And um, what I find is just like that kind of consistency matters a lot. But of course, the nature of just vulnerability matters a lot to me too. Um, mm. I tend to find that those who are willing to become vulnerable are generally very high, like emotionally intelligent and also quite self-aware and also the best mm -hmm. coach because I mm. think with, with vulnerability, it, it kind of signals to me a little bit of growth mindset of just like, I am willing to adapt and learn. And this is just what I accept is like a necessary part of this job. Right. Mm -hmm. And you got to have a growth mindset, I think, in order to be, to make it to the very top sure. of, of, of Silicon Valley. So mm. Yeah, those are those are sort of things that sort of demonstrate to me. It's just like that consistency of follow up on the dot, that vulnerability, um, and you know, from there, I think it's a really good baseline of trust. But one thing mm. that I also do to to try to like start a, a trust driven relationship <clears throat> with our founders is um, when we when we offer cash to a founder and they accept it, I walk them through a social contract for how Hustle Fund engages with its founders to see whether mm -hmm. they're down to to work with us. And if you're open to it, Sharath, I'm happy to actually share what the social contract looks yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, let's please. pretend you just took money from us, right? So I'd say mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. this is usually our first meeting right after the money has been wired. I say, yo, Sharath, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, thank you so much for saying yes to Hustle Fund. You know, like I'm mm. really excited about this journey ahead. And the way that we operate with our founders is um, through a social contract that we set up that has three parts. So the first part mm. is, I'm going to commit to blunt honesty and feedback to you. But please assume mm. it's coming from a good place in my heart. Um, mm. You know, your time is really valuable. And I always want to make sure that we can just get right into the heart of, of what's going on and, mm -hmm. you know, have a very honest conversation about it. But, of course, this is a reciprocal relationship. But assuming mm -hmm. that's from a good place in our heart is important because we all want the same thing, which is for this company to be, deep, to be incredibly successful. So that's part one is that blunt honesty and feedback, good place in the heart. Second part is when we, whenever we speak, whenever we meet, Sharath, I'm going to assume that things are going badly. It's not to say that you're a bad founder or that the business is bad or anything else is necessarily bad, but even for like the best companies I've ever run, 95% of the time it felt like shit. I mean, like, you know, there's always a house of cards that you're building where it could collapse at any moment. A key employee leaves, a key client is, is churning, something that feels existential all the time. There's always a big problem to be solved. So, when we jump into the call, let's just get right into problem solving mode and figure out what the biggest blocker is that can help you unblock. Mm. Now, 5% of the time from the 95% of the time feeling like crap, like it feels amazing. <laughs> like that, that little minor minority time. And that's kind of probably why we do this business because of that existential high of course. Uh, that you can right. be received as being a founder. But anyway, uh, I'll assume that things are going badly in our call. So blunt honesty and feedback. We'll assume that things are going badly whenever we meet. And then the last part of our social contract is Sharath, you have permission to lose all of our money. Mm. And we didn't invest for you to lose money. And in fact, I don't think you're going to lose our money. We invest mm. because we thought we think that we're going to all profit together. But if we hold our, uphold our social contract together, we tried really hard. Uh, we were transparent mm. and vulnerable and honest with each other along the way. Lots of feedback. Um, all the effort was there, but it still doesn't work out. That's okay. Just come back to us mm. when you're ready to start another company and we can try it again. And if that one doesn't work out, that's okay. Just come back to us again and we can work it out. Because what I've learned in my life is just that 
if you treat life like a multi-turn transaction, which it is, a winner will eventually win, right? So uh, sometimes it takes a couple of of tries before you get there. So that's the three parts, blunt honesty and feedback. We seem that things are going badly when we meet, and it's okay for you to lose all of our money. So anyway, that's uh, that's what I say to founders. And the reason why I like saying it to founders is, A, it comes from a very sincere part in our hearts. Like, we believe everything mm-hmm. that we just said there. But B, it sort of sets a good tone that we can mm-hmm. be safe with each other, right? Right. And I didn't feel that way with my investors. I felt like mm-hmm. I was trying to please them. It was like having a bunch of Caesars. They're just like judging me, right? right like I was in right. their service. That's not the way that this business should work. Like if I'm your right. investor, I'm like any other service provider to you. I'm providing you capital, knowledge, and networks. Like Gusto is providing payroll services. Like First Republic is providing, like, mm-hmm. is providing mm-hmm. banking services. Like we, we should all be in your service as a founder. So um, that's a big reason why I think Hustle Fund mm-hmm. exists. It's just like I just felt like it was a really flipped social contract for a long time when mm-hmm. I was a founder. And it should be. I absolutely love what you said. I think uh, I wish many employers and many people are like this. I would say like 100% of the folks who work in tech just in general in life are so upfront because uh, it's a very healthy way of dealing things rather than, you know, cupcaking or like really like adding a, a level of another layer, which is very bad to even handle, right? Uh, it would be best to actually have a face-to-face conversation with all the cards on the table instead of hiding uh, the negatives or the trump card or whatever the other things that people generally use to uh, behave like in an abusive way. So, Eric, that was amazing. I got chills when you said about the last point. I think the first two were kind of uh, well-known in the industry. Yeah, very few people either, though, they practice but what an amazing way to uh, portray the third point, which is you are open to have an exit. You're giving an exit door. Uh, that is phenomenal. Like, because now you're literally lifting the pressure from the founders and giving them all the resources, all the power to go hundred X. Cause yeah. if people have that, you know, money as a pressure, like, you know, I don't know, but like a ton of people, they just fail because they have their, their, what do you call uh, accountable, which is good, but you know, uh, it's sometimes bad as well. Right. Like mm. I love, I love the three points, which you said, I, I love the exit door more importantly than uh, of course, you know, the two are very important. I think in a way you're kind of, you have that service mind, service minded leadership or servant leadership that you mm-hmm. bring to the table as a VC. Uh, how popular is it among the VC you know, industry? in your opinion, and what is something that VC should work on? Interesting. I think as a stereotype, it's not that common. I mean, um, there's two ways you could be a VC, all right? One's easier than the other. So version mm-hmm. one is this, which I'm convinced more and more is the game that a lot of VCs are playing, is you and I start a fund. We decide that we're really good fundraisers, and we decide to raise a billion dollars out of the gate. What that mm-hmm. means is the way that the economics work is we get a $20 million guaranteed management fee, 2% out of the mm-hmm. billion for every year for 10 years, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You get 10 million, I get 10 million. So regardless mm-hmm. of whether we invest well or what, or don't invest well, you and I are each going to make a hundred million dollars. Okay. Right. So when you kind of meet an asset gatherer VC, you can kind of sniff it out. 
right? Mm. Like they just don't seem like stressed or rushed at, it at all. They're constantly traveling to Davos or whatever bullshit mm -hmm. location. <laughs> Their office is a little bit too nice. I mean, like this one VC I remember talking to just like showed me pictures of all the vacation homes he has around the world in one oh meeting when I was pitching him. I was like, you what a show off. like, just like, yeah. like you're not, yeah. Like you don't give a shit. Right. Right. Um, that's one version. And I, I generally find that that's not a very service oriented, uh, mm. mindset normally with, with people like that. And there's plenty of them in this industry. The good news is this though, mm. the industry is starting to change. There's new emerging managers out there. Mm. We're a small fund. There's a lot of other great small funds. Um, mm. and they're, they're, I think taking a healthier approach to the founders, like in that service mentality saying like, uh, asking the right questions, like what I can do to unblock you, or if I invest in sure. you, like promising to, you know, help you with your sales or products or designs or all these other kind of permutations of, of, um, specific areas of value add, I guess. And, sure. um, yeah, I mean, like increasingly I'm seeing those folks in the ranks and it's giving me more optimism. Um, mm. and the way that like smaller funds, just to talk my own book a little bit, get compensated is, is usually through carry. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm in my garage and I have a space heater <laughs> on right next to my feet is because right. I can't afford actually, uh, a lot for myself. Like, you know, I, I pay myself a fair wage. Right which is probably 20% mm -hmm. of what I used to make when I was a product manager at mm. Facebook right now. So don't cry for wow. me because like, you know, I still have a great house and all stuff, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it's, it's there, but like, it's, it's not, I don't want to get rich off of my salary and management fees. Mm. I want to get rich because we invested in a founder of Shiroth. We helped him. He got ultra wealthy from his outcome. And then my investors did. And then I got wealthy as a result. Like that right. for me is like a pure alignment to capitalism. And if mm. that is the goal, which is just like, how do we set up this founder to absolutely like destroy it and crush it? Then mm. um, that usually means you have to do a little bit of work, right? right. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. fun. Like it's, it's yeah. really fun work. So um, yeah, I, I'd say that uh, it's a long answer to your simple question, which is just like the industry change, is changing to be a little bit more service oriented. But at least when I was a founder, it was not. Mm -hmm. It sucked. Mm. Mm. I think that's why you're building a fund because it, just like any other founder uh, or before becoming a founder, someone will work for someone and they feel terrible when they're working with someone and they find it very irritating that they, they go to a point where they want to build their own stuff, solve their own problem and put it out. I think to me, that is my biggest motivation. I, I build things for myself and put it mm. out. Because yeah. I'll be my first user. Hopefully yes. people join me. That's good. If not, that's fine too. Because I, I'm using my own thing, right? I do this yeah. podcast selfishly for me because I want to learn from the speaker or the guest. Mm. Mm. If it helps like one more person uh, pick brain from Eric, oh, wow, that's phenomenal. That's impact right there. So I'm already <laughs> doing something impactful for myself. I think uh, I love founders, you know, VCs. For example, Ryan Hoover, which... which who I admire so much, we can yeah, fund. A good friend of mine. Yeah, Ryan does the same thing. He builds things for himself. He does the fund for for himself uh, because he find you know a, a kick in it, right? So appreciate like you know people like that. Uh, I don't want to ask questions about what you look in a founder because you create content a lot on Hustle Funds YouTube channel about like what you look for you know founders or startups. That's for you know that's that's there. But one thing I really want to ask. You tweeted about this, uh, being a founder of a VC fund is much easier than being a founder of a startup. Why do you think that? 
Yeah, that one actually got a, a little bit of controversial responses back. I got some pretty angry mm -hmm. direct messages, in fact, from it. <laughs> oh my so God. yeah, okay. why do I believe that being a VC, a founder of a VC fund is easier than being a founder of a startup? There's so many reasons. I mean, the first, I guess, I guess I'll ground myself on is product market fit. It turns out mm -hmm. that when you run a venture capital fund, there's very established product market fit. My product mm -hmm. is giving money to you as a founder. And it turns out that founders really like getting money <laughs> from a VC, right? So hmm. um, every other startup that I ever ran, like I've, I've had five companies, it's my fifth one right now. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. um, they, uh, it took me like three to five years to find product market fit. And that was like with a lot of resources spent, time, money, uh, to try, hmm. try to find something that, that finally took off. And it was just lots of experimentation. So, hmm. you know, the early days of being a startup founder, the quest is to see whether there is a, a path to product market fit. And many do not. I'd say arguably most do not find mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. right? Sure. So you take away that stress. That's part one. Mm -hmm. uh, part two is that uh, there's something a little bit different about having a portfolio of companies versus just one company. When you're a founder, mm. you know, all of your eggs are just in that single company. <laughs> like it's toxic. Like right. even your personal identity often feels tied to the success of this right. business. That's how I felt. That's never a healthy kind of thing. And I, I encourage founders not to try to have that mentality too. But it was the case for me, like all of my money, everything was there. And um, if it doesn't work out, it it's it's one single thing, right? What That's mm -hmm. like going to be like a binary outcome usually for, for that founder. In mm. a portfolio, when you're a VC, we have 500 portfolio companies across three funds. Like it's never cool when a company winds down or shuts down. Like it never feels good for anyone. Absolutely. But from mm -hmm. my perspective, it's it's sort of okay. And the reason why is a VC at the end of the day comes down to just like three to five companies that you found that you invest in. That generally is going to pull like ninety percent of the results, right? So it, mm. it creates a little bit more of like an emotional balance when you're mm -hmm. a VC because you have like a portfolio of high risk businesses, not just the one. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think like one of the responses I really liked was from this guy named Frank Rotman. I really like him. He's, he runs QED, which is a great fintech fund in New York. And he's like, yeah, like at the end of the day, though, whether you're a founder of a VC funder or founder of a startup, if you're going to try to be the very best of it, it's always crazy hard. And like, and I think that's mm. actually always true, right? In any discipline, like whether you're a founder or, e or even like working in a, in a, in a day job, like if you're going to try to be like the very best, like within the top 1%, that requires right. crazy good effort. Um, so, right. and being a founder is just of anything. I don't care if you're a VC fund, a startup, or just like, you know, making a cool like e-commerce store for ceramic mugs. Mm -hmm. um, it's just way harder than any other yeah. day job that you can have, like by an order of magnitude, I would argue. Yeah, so absolutely. not easy, but the degrees of easiness are quite different in my view between VC right. and startup at least. Hmm. And, uh, what lessons have you learned as a founder that you're implementing as a founder of a startup? Are, are you implementing uh, as a founder of VC fund? I think the biggest tool is empathy. You know, like when you're a founder, it's super lonely, right? Like mm. mental health is actually something that uh, is, is like a serious problem, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you might have a co-founder that you can talk to and mm -hmm. that helps. And I have two great co-founders to sort of talk about these things. Mm -hmm. You might have mm -hmm. a great spouse, significant other, friends. But even sure. with a spouse and significant other, unless they're founders too, it's mm -hmm. very difficult for them to understand what this life is like, right? So 
I think the the first question I always ask a founder in our portfolio, whenever we meet, I go, Sharath, how's your mental health? That's the first question mm-hmm. I always ask every single one of our founders, right? Right. What I like about that question, it's not like, how are you doing? Which you always get bullshit response. It's like, good. Mm. <laughs> right? Like people that are fine or, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how's your mental health is a little bit more of a backfoot question where like, you can't really, you shouldn't be bullshitting me on that one. Sure. And I love that our founders are very honest about this. Like, it's really sure. bad right now or, or it's excellent, mm. but like, rarely do I hear excellent. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's part one is like the empathy. And then mm. the part two is just like, because I was an operator for so long and I scaled companies uh, and sold them, like I, I generally have a perspective that I can share, which is just like, oh, you're, you're about to hire this person. Let me talk to them. Like I've, I've hired like a, so many engineering leads, like I'm happy to help you close this person. Or mm. uh, if you have to fire someone, I've done a lot of firing too, just like share advice. And first time founders are really nervous about that kind of stuff. Or, mm. you know, digging in on, you know, I was a product manager for a while too. Like, you know, oh, like, let me take a look at like how you're designing these workflows and like, and all that stuff. So there's a little bit of that uh, operating sprinkles I can like uh, mm-hmm, put, mm-hmm. put out there. Uh, but at the end of the day, like my core job is just making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm an asset allocator, right? Like I, I, I don't right. get that, that deep into that kind of stuff, but making sure mm-hmm. that the founders feel seen and heard you know, of just, mm. you know, how hard this stuff is, I think is, is a small, subtle kind of psychological value add that I try to provide to in a very authentic way. Mm. I think an investor is more than uh, someone who gives money. Uh, an investor in, after your, after listening to your answer is a coach. Uh, it's like literally a, a, an NBA basketball coach or an NFL or football coach who have a group of guys or girls, founders, who wants to be at their greatness and the coach's job is to enable that greatness by providing resources, playbooks, plays, or whatever it is. Like, you know, you're sharing your experience and being really empathizing, empathizing with them. Yeah. But I don't what think that's some... a very consistent, I don't think that's a very consistently agreed on perspective, Shroth, right? Like mm. a, a lot of VCs I know don't come in thinking like, I'm going to be a coach to this founder. Right, like I, I don't think that's a as common a use case what, as you might think. Wh- why do you think that? Why do you think? And what what is wh- why do you think people are not being a coach when the the job itself demands being them as a coach? Well, because uh, it takes work. I mean, like at the end of the day, like if if you're gonna be really cold about it, like if I gave you the money and I'm on your cap table and I have the ownership that I want, then like mm. that's there forever, <laughs> right? Like I like what? Why do I need to help you? I mean. That's a very, that's a, I'm, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm, mm. I'm speaking like a very like negative, like perspective that some people sure, hold. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And like, mm-hmm. um, and I, uh, the downturn has been really interesting for me because there are some VCs that I will not name that have a great brand that have done mm. jack shit in serving their founders. Like we don't sit on any Whoa. boards, but like, I mean, I see how hard my colleagues, Elizabeth and Sheehan, they work in myself too. And yeah. the conversations I'm having and trying to like, engineer like all sorts of very interesting financings or like right. trying to fire sale acquisitions for <clears throat> companies that are struggling and i'm like this board member who owns like 20 percent of this company isn't doing anything right and right. And, and it's it's like a constant disappointment in seeing that and i think the reason why is just like why work you know i'm too busy it's august you know I, i'm in europe right oh, now nice. and i'm just like like we're doing your fucking work for you then so it's, it's, and I felt that way too, as a founder, it's just like, man, like these VCs aren't signing up to do anything except for just like sit on my, sit on mm. cash that they gave me. 
Um, mm. That's a bit of it a almost rant. like no, no. It, it almost feels like you're describing a bank officer who puts money at a, at an interest rate, and if you don't pay, comes back at you saying that, "Hey, where is my money? Where is the payment?" Uh, but doesn't do help you like your business or the thing you grow. If you're buying a house using that bank loan, they don't come tell you like, "Hey, these are the things you should avoid." when you do a fencing for example just you know for yeah. that analogy you're talking you're describing more of that which is surprising to me because i think i see people like you elizabeth ryan there are like some other folks who are very much intentional and have skin in the game and they want to help people that's why they started these funds not to make money but to really like you know empathize and avoid the problems they faced in the you know in their past so well, yeah but uh, we're not saints either i mean like at the end of the day we're capitalists and we're in this because we think that this is a, a very lucrative career if you can do it right you know so there is a little bit of self-interest there but i'll tell you like Sharath, like the thing that i love most about this job all right mm. outside of working for my teammates we have 30 people at hustle fund and they're such cool people um mm. that's fun but the there's a moment where like when you invest in a founder as like one of the earliest checks and so many founders at that stage are dealing with like sabotaging voices, imposter syndrome, just like these, this idea of like trying to fighting back mm -hmm. that medulla oblongata response of like, you can't do this. Like, why are you here? You don't deserve the seat at the table. Mm -hmm. And then like on the few cases where like it starts to work and the company's starting mm -hmm. to take off, you begin to witness the metamorphosis of these founders of like suddenly mm -hmm. realizing like, I have what it takes to do this. And you see that confidence right. build. And then you can see like the company just start to grow. And it is an amazing thing to witness when you're at that moment, just like, wow. Like I remember mm. when Shroth was like really doubting himself, but he like is like crushing it right now and has exhibited like an amazing mm. amount of growth. Yeah, mm. the money is nice and all that stuff. But like sure. that that comes later. Like that's that's an outcome that, that but right. when you when you get to see like these good human beings become Mm. great at what they do my gosh mm. like that's like one of the best gifts mm. i think it's, it's, you're also kind of de de describing the parenting life of uh you know being a vc right like if you the joy of your kid taking the first steps would never replace anything right like the joy of that that struggle you know you, you treat like your founders as you know as your kids in a way <laughs> you know after your after your answer i, I love that uh no i i know we are like kind of on time so i just want to uh ask about a few more questions yeah, what sure. do you enjoy the most if you, if you were to give another chance would you become a founder of a startup or founder of a vc i'd say startup and like you know okay. uh the thing that's really cool is uh i would do it in a very specific way now like if i didn't have this job it'd be it'd be me maybe another friend uh, we mm. would leverage a lot of AI and autonomous agents and try to build like a SaaS business mm. to like mm -hmm. a million dollars in revenue bootstrapped with just two people. Mm. And I do think we're mm. in that era where you can make like a million, multi-million dollar business with like almost sure. no people. So right. that's probably the place I would go first is just try to find a problem in SaaS that I can solve and then build an almost like teamless uh, setup to, uh, to, to make a decent business. Hmm. Yeah, there are, there are, there are a million people like, you know, so many examples so that many. we see who are building it's businesses. Awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's good. You know, the more businesses mm -hmm. we see thriving, you know, it's best for the, for the whole industry. Always. Uh, for, in, in your opinion, if, if you were to like give advice for folks who wants to be, you know, be a VC in their game, what kind of skin in the game that you 
you know tell them to like put in like uh, they have to angel invest first then become uh, a manager then like you know start their fund what, what is like the transition what is the uh, i would call like uh, what do you call software life cycle type of a thing yeah. stlc but for vc that's a great question so the cool thing is this there's no real path to becoming a vc because there's an infinite set of paths um hmm. i studied sociology in college I didn't, i'm not an engineer sure um, yeah. I somehow found like a very technical career randomly as a product manager and then in my own startups. And mm-hmm. then the angel investing I started around 2013 really did help. So what I do recommend is something you did suggest, which is um, beginning with angel investments, even small checks, like a thousand bucks even, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes people, a lot, sometimes a lot of angel investors are like, will a founder even take a thousand dollars to me? And the answer I have for mm. them is like, yes, they will. If you can also roll up your sleeves a little bit and provide some other value on top of it. Like early in my career, when I had less money, I would actually do like mm. a small check and advising saying like for the next year, I'm going to like do all of your proc requirements or something like that for this, wow. or, you know, just something on the side. And right. that ended up being like a very lucrative uh, thing. Probably, probably cause I got like super <laughs> lucky with my first companies. Um, so um, I think early angel investing, even with small checks, is a great way to learn and then mm. build a little bit of track record. And if you do want to inflect into becoming a, a VC, the, the, only, the only difference of how I would have done things differently is probably begin with an, like a, a nano fund, like go to AngelList, use their AngelList fund mm-hmm. services or rolling fund services, mm-hmm. try to raise like $1 million or $2 million or $5 million maybe. Mm. Um that's much more doable as like a starting point and like the costs for running a fund that small have gotten much lower because of great services like AngelList, Sidecar, um, other kinds of great platforms too. Hmm. And then um, if uh, you're finding that you really enjoy that practice and you can do that as like a side fund as you have your day job or whatever, then um, Hmm. I think that's a good stepping stone into like maybe creating your own VC fund if that's the path. Now breaking Hmm. into like an established fund as like a partner or something like that, that's like a Sequoia or something, that's generally much harder, right? Like, uh, mm. you know, you got to have like unique connections within the industry, pretty great track record, right. or be like a founder with like a pretty massive exit. So right. the entry point there is far harder. And I don't have like as good advice since I've never done myself, nor do I, mm. have I desired. Um, mm. But creating your own VC thing, I think is, is great. And I, I, I think it's, we could always use more good funds on the side of the table. Yeah, I love that. I think I manifest myself to be a VC because I have this coaching angle in myself. Uh, I, I always like want to help people. Uh, so I, there is a, there is a joy, like you said. Uh, so hundred percent hell yes, you know, for, uh, for that path. Thank you for that. And last kind of like a last question in, in a way uh, you hustle fund invests in hilariously early stage, you know, startups. Can you define hilarious what is what is hilarious to you that 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 you know uh tickles you yeah sure um we defined this actually on our website as well uh, if you go to our faq area but uh hilarious for me is just like you just quit your job and that's it right <laughs> like like you're you're now like working on this full time i i do want to actually be able to some someday support part-time founders i actually think that's pure hilarity um, mm. but, um, we're not right now and, mandated to do that. Like it's, it's for us, like we still need to see the signal. Like this is someone that's not just dreaming, but actually doing it. Sure. But if you're now full time on the company and then you have like a crappy prototype, um, that's enough for us. Right. Like right. that commitment traction is cool, but like, it's not necessary. 
Um, but you've gone full time and then you, you try you're, you're now trying to build some, your first thing. I would mm. love to talk to you at that point. Yeah. I like what you said about investing in part-time founders because you should, I should talk to you about it. Uh, I, I, I always build these, uh, products and I sold lucky, very fortunate enough to like, you know, build a SaaS and sold it in the last two years, Amazing. Uh, but that's for another topic. But, uh, I, I, am so mad that we don't have more time because I have so freaking many questions I didn't ask. Oh my gosh. Uh, maybe we'll do, we'll do like a round two, but. Eric, this has been a blast. I love, love the mindset, that service-oriented leadership that you bring to every founder, all the portfolio you have. And generally in, in a pub, you know, general public, like people like me, I learned so much. No, and thank you, man. I didn't ask about shit, shit posting, but that's for the topic. But <laughs> I love your vibe. Like, you know, you're just basically you. like, you know, live your life, live in the moment uh, and be cool about it. So uh, any closing thoughts before we, we close out? Yeah, I think the, First and foremost, just Sharath, thank you so much for allowing me to be a guest on your podcast, this service that you're also providing to. Um, these questions are great because, you know, they, they invite a lot of vulnerability to under, mm. for folks to understand, I think, like some of the underlying motivation a few clicks deeper. Um, so um, really grateful that you gave me this chance to be on your podcast. And yeah, we can go into round two at another time if people found this first part kind of interesting. And um yeah, I think the the last thing I'll just mention uh, to any founders who are listening is um, a reminder of quantity time and quality time. It's very easy mm-hmm. to view everything as an opportunity cost of like, should I go to this movie with Sharath or can I work like three hours instead? And I did this for like mm-hmm. so many years of just like starting to turn everything into opportunity costs. And mm-hmm. uh, I got to say that, you know, life moves much faster than you can imagine. And, right. you know, I, I just hope that people can just enjoy the process and journey a little bit more um, mm-hmm. and find some time for slow thinking and taking rest because that's actually ironically going slow allows you to go faster. I'm a really uh, big fan of like high performance driving. And they always say mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's a saying, which is just like um, uh, uh, s- slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. So like mm. when you're actually learning to drive really quickly, d- d- the the instructors are actually trying to make you go slower, actually slowing down your movements, mm-hmm. getting your hands a little bit lighter, trying to get a little more smoothness versus like focusing on just like gunning the throttle. And it, it turns mm. out that like if you do it that way and just sort of adopt that, um, you, you end up just going faster and faster and faster with that kind of right. stuff. So for me, that also I means just, that. uh, um, you know, you just don't discount what rest means and actually good pacing. And you'll be astounded by how much throughput you can get as a result. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, but I love that. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, it's been such a blast speaking with you, Shroth. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. And that I think that's the best possible way to end it. I'm so happy that you, you've said about that quote. You know, I'm, I'm taking that as a takeaway, biggest takeaway. But folks, thank you so much for giving your attention. We do this for you, uh, provide value in, at least in, you know, in one person way. And stay tuned for more episodes. Uh, but that's it for today. Cheers. Appreciate it. Thank you.